morning if you're ready. And uh, we come to verse number five. And as usual, we're going to spend uh, this week and next week in this verse um, because it is a, a great verse in, in this section. And uh, it says, uh, st- start reading, if you will, in verse number three. We've been talking about tribulation. We've been talking about the things that uh, make it. Uh, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which was given unto us. And again, verse number 5, that's where we're at this morning, and uh, it is a great verse. It's a wonderful verse. It is also a verse for the first time introduces you to the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit in the text of Romans. And uh, he doesn't go much into it other than he's been given to us, and he will go more into the work of the Spirit in um, chapter 8. We're not there yet, so we're going to do chapter 5 here first. Okay, so verse number five. Again, we've been looking at the issues here uh, of uh, of tribulation, and and having the godly perspective with uh, when it comes to trouble, when it comes to tribulation, when it comes to looking how to look at it, and uh, we're on high ground here. Uh, instantly, uh, again, 5-1, therefore being justified. We just got justified. We found out about the three benefits of our justification. We have peace with God, access into this grace wherein we stand, and we're going to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he goes, we're going to glory also, glory, find the, tr- uh, find the worth of, the value of, tribulation also. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, you just took us out of the heavenly places and you just put us down in the gutter and it really it's not it's a it's a wonderful connection it's a wonderful uh uh movement from understanding the issues of what we have and who we are in christ our standing in christ to then move into how to deal with the things of life if we have peace with God when trouble comes, then we know something instantly that God isn't against us. I want to talk to some about this next hour about how to think, because when you begin to think about things that are going on, instantly we, we have that knee-jerk flesh reaction to look at things and say, well, when the tough gets going, the going gets tough, the tough get going. See, I can't even say it right because I don't even think about that. You know, what doesn't kill you will build you up and all this positive malarkey stuff that we spew at ourselves and our thinking. And Paul comes along and says, no, we're going to glory. There's worth in the tribulation. And when it comes to the trauma, to the heartache, to the discouragement, to the physical and emotional tolls that come on our, us, we understand that life is no longer the enemy. What do we know? We have a hope, don't we? And we spent two weeks, three weeks, looking at each of the, 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 the patients and experience and experience hope. So there's a, there's a benefit to the tribulation. There's first a reality of it. And uh, when you, by the way, when you understand that life is no longer the enemy and tribulation then becomes never a threat to you again. And then actually, like we were talking about last time about with hope, is that we begin to pri- are able to prioritize our life and make decisions, you know, uh, when, and, and look at things and knowing that tribulation is going to come because we made tri- a we made decisions to do something and be okay with it. If, if, if Come over to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. And, and I, I tried to talk a little bit about the, the reality of tribulation and the result of the tribulation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1. Notice verse number 8. Paul here. We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength, 
in so much that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Paul says, I want you to understand the trouble that we were going through in Acts 19 when we were over there at Ephesus. Because what I want you to understand is, is that in the middle of them, of, of the, the, the despair even of life, the death sentence that was in front of them, who did they not trust? Ourselves. Who did they trust? But God who raises the dead. See, that's very specific. He doesn't say we trust God. Whoop-de-doo. The heathen trust God. He said, we trust God that raises the dead. Why? Because what, do, what are we looking forward to as a component of our hope? Resurrection life. See, that's very specific. That's why he says, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. He says, listen, we're trusting, go back to Romans 5, we trusted God who raised the dead that he would deliver us. And by the way, how, if, 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 how was he going to deliver them? That's always the question. How does God deliver today? Well, how was he going to deliver Paul? If Paul is killed, how does God deliver him from that? Resurrection, the rapture. So it delivered Paul in the moment to know what? If I die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can't kill that. But it's a perspective that he had to learn. It's something that we have to learn. By the way, also by, in that verse there about your prayers helping. People always ask about prayer, does it really help? Paul says it helps. So you should be praying for each other. Especially the leadership you should be praying for each other why because it helps it's not that god sends down over and you know beam beam me up scotty type of thing it's not that at all it's rather a knowing an understanding on paul's part that people are thinking about him concerned about him wanting to take care of him that's a great support go back to romans 5 so the reality of the tribulation is it's there. <laughs> and when you have the perspective, God's perspective, the, the, then you know what? We know. I, I love that verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also knowing. And that's the key. Knowledge. Knowing. You know what we know? Tribulation is a part of life. Tribulate, we can't escape it. We can't run from it. There's no way to stop it except to check out. <laughs> See? We will always have it. It's what it is. So then how do we deal with it? The reality of it, again, Paul acts over there, he says, you threw much tribulation. It's coming. And by the way, it's a gift. When he says that to the Philippians, it's not only on behalf to trust him, but also to suffer for it. It's a gift. And you know what we ought to be able to say? Thank you for the gift. But you only can do that by knowing that tribulation worketh. And that's the result of it. The reality is it's there. We're going to glory in it. We, we have to come to know. We've got to come to learn the value in it. The if you think about trouble that comes up, and you think about the opportunity to learn to grow from it, to learn to come in and see it begin to work in you, to come along and see what God had intended you to go through that and to work down through it. And you know what you find? You find the results of it. And the results of it is tribulation worketh patience. Patience that... By the way, not waiting in line. I, I was watching the voter lines, you know, a couple hours, two, three hours, what all this stuff, and, you know, uh, early voting stuff. It's not, that's not patience. That's trouble. <laughs> okay. 
that isn't the patience here is that inner man capacity, that inner man strength to endure, to cope. Because we have that comforting work of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures in our inner man. And when you have that in, you know what you have? You have patience. Patience was defined one time as peace under pressure. If you're in the pressure situation, do you have peace? If you do, you've got some patience. Patience begins to then work experience. The, the one source that we are to access that scripture and the comfort of it then brings experience. And experience is just that. It's taking the event you're going through and, you, and it's personal. You personally realize. You personally begin to take the word that's working in your inner man as you've been studying and renewing your mind, and now you go put it into shoe leather, if you will. You go over and you put it into your daily life. You take it off the page, you take it out of theory, and you put it into practice. And when the life of Christ works in our life, we begin to develop a skill set that enables us to prioritize our life according to the sound doctrine. Verse over there with Timothy, Paul says, preach the word. Instant, in season, and out of season. What are you going to do? Preach the word. That's what you're doing. Okay? You prioritize life. It's really easy to run when trouble shows up. <laughs> but that's not, that's not the experience. Some of you, I said it last week, have more experience about life than some of us others. You've gone through things that I have never gone through, I'm going to go through them, guess what I'm going to need? <laughs> Maybe a little comfort from you to say, hey, look, I've been where you're at, and here's what happened with me, here's what I looked at. Follow that? Then experience works hope. And that's where we were last time, hope. That resolute future. We know what our future holds, regardless of what happens now. We are to know, we're to learn that when we operate with the understanding of our future, our future, is your future secure? The answer is yes. How do you know it's secure? God's word tells me. I believe God's word. It, what does it do? It fortifies my inner man. It builds me. It gives me the internal, the spiritual fortitude, fort. You know, big building, boom. I was reading about the Mayflower and the pilgrims and, and that time frame when they came over because next month will be uh, an anniversary for them and so forth. Uh, 400 years, 1620, they landed at Plymouth Rock, that part of the country. And uh, the first thing that they were looking for to do was to build a fort not to ward off an enemy, the Indians, but to ward off the weather <laughs> and to have some, some structures and so forth. And they, they go and they found a structure of, a play, of some folks that had settled there before, and, and yet they found a bunch of skulls and bones and everything, and they figured the plague got them. That's what they called it, the plague. So you know what they did? They burnt it down. They didn't move in. <laughs> You know, it's really an interesting, but fort, fortitude, build, structure, safety, security. And when we understand that our future is secure, then we, can, we are free to go live our life in that realm of the unseen. You remember we looked at first, Second Corinthians 4.18? We went over there and we talked about that walk of faith. We look over to Hebrews over there where he defines that the anchor of your soul. And again, what does that anchor do? It's got a job, but it's really jobless. It doesn't have any moving mechanical parts to it. It just drops off into that sea silently, quietly, goes down into the dark, doesn't it? It just sits there. If you think about your inner man and your soul, your hope, it just goes in and sits there until what happens? The life gets, starts being tossed. The boat starts getting moved. The, sea, the, the life sea is no, no longer 
calm. A couple weekends ago when Ricky and I took that little boat out, uh, we were coming down the hill, and I, you know what I was seeing? Waves and white cat. I'm like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> you know? Why? Because it's not calm. It's, not, it's rough. What happens when your boat, when your life pulls on that anchor line? What does the anchor do? It doesn't come up. It does what? It digs in. It gets deeper and deeper. And then when the tide shifts and the boat relaxes, what does the anchor do? It relaxes. That's your hope. And when we operate with the sense of a prevailing hope, and life hits, the hope digs deeper, then you know what happens? We're no longer worried about it, the trouble. When we had, uh, I, watch, I, don't, I watch TV when I can't sleep. Deadliest Catch, that show from Alaska, one of the earlier offshoots of that show was a little thing that they did about shipwrecks and the Coast Guard coming in and saving the guys from the boat. And there was one where the guys were anchored right off the shore. They had lost power and had been drifting, and the storm came up, and they had dropped their anchor. And the anchor was holding until guess what happened? The anchor held no more. They had a malfunction with the chain and all this, and it snapped, a weak link. And you know where that boat went? Right into the rocks. And as it was going into the rocks, that last guy was coming up off the helicopter. <laughs> and, and, and literally, they showed it. And you know what? That's what happens when you, when, your hope, when you lose your hope. You lost your mooring. You lost your security. And the, the greater the tribulation, the deeper our hope penetrates us. And that's why it's important. That's why it works in that realm of our inner man. That's why it works in our, the realm of the issue of walking by faith. Faith, Hebrews 11, faith is the, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. We, walk, we work in the invisible realm, see. Now, in, now all that's reviewed to get you to 5.5, five, okay? Because I want you to see how important we are in, we're in this issue of being on high ground here. We're, uh, by the way, only an adult would think this way. Children do not think this way. Children are tossed around. Uh, you have to tell children what to do. An adult doesn't know everything. They keep learning. But they're operating at a different level than a child does. Verse 5, And hope maketh not a shame. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, the love of God is the next helper in the issue of tribulation. But before you get, so it's really kind of number four, if you will. But before you get there, Paul says something that's very interesting. That hope, tribulation works patience, Patience, experience, experience, hope. That's the formula. And hope does what? Maketh not ashamed. And that issue about being not ashamed. To be ashamed is to be discouraged. Because of the experiences of life, the fear of being discredited, the fear of being ridiculed, the fear of thinking you look weak, the fear that begins to grip us when trouble comes up that we don't. Remember, we looked at that passage in Corinthians there when he says to one, death unto death, and to others, life unto life, that's Savior. When the world looks at us, what do they think about us? You guys are nuts. It's a waste of your time. Second Corinthians 1 over there is the foolishness. You guys are a bunch of fools. You believe in a dead Jew that hung on a tree. See? They look at you crazy. They look at you like, what do you mean you go to church and from 9 to 12, 30? Are you, you know, only the Mormons do that. Don't you know? 
And it's like, no. Well, first of all, the Mormons don't do what we're doing. But, but no, you think about, you think about how the, 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 the world views you. And what you begin to do is you become ashamed. You get discouraged. You, you get discredited. And you don't want that. But Paul says that hope does what? Maketh not. See, what does your hope do? It comes along and it says, hey, you're not to be ashamed of this. We are to, we are to advance in our growth. We're never to succumb to give in to the attack, to the trouble, to the discredit, to the discouragement. Why? We got hope. And you know what hope does? It maketh us, what? Not ashamed. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I just want to maybe just spend the morning looking at this issue about being ashamed. Because it's, it's critical. I know what happens. We want to go to the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And, oh, let's talk about the love of God. Well, does God love you? Well, yeah. Okay. But, and there's some things in that we'll say when we get down there. But I, we tend to skip over this hope maketh not ashamed. And in actuality, it's a big deal in the tribulation. Because when the trouble comes up on us, what is our tendency to do? Run and hide. Cower down. And Paul says, no, that is, we're to glory in it. We're to find the value in it. We're to access the resources that we have in God's love and his grace. And we're to go over there and we're to embrace it. In 2 Timothy 1 here, Paul is dealing with Timothy. 2 Timothy, again, when we studied the 1st and 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy is a book about church history from the time that Paul dies all the way out to present day. And the church is in apostasy. It was in apostasy in Paul's day, and it's even so more now. That's why he's going to later on tell Timothy in chapter 3, verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He is not talking about the world. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. We looked at that when we went through it. We spent time looking through this. Why? Because you and I need to understand that the reason the world's a mess is because the church is a mess. Because the church's job is to have an influence and an impact on the world about us. And we have failed that as a, as a corporate group. Okay? So when you come into Timothy here, Paul is exhorting Timothy not to give in to the trouble. <laughs> in chapter 1, if you look down at verse 15, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. These two guys have stepped up and they've kind of taken over and everybody's leaving who? Paul. First thing they're going to do in verse 8, that's where we're headed here in just a second, is they're going to leave the message and then they're going to leave the messenger. You know what they've done? They've left the word of God rightly divided. That's what they've done. And when we went through this, I tried to show you the, those steps of apostasy and, and first you leave Paul and the word rightly divided. Our case today, they've left the Word of God, period. They've moved over away from a King James Bible into something else that makes them feel better. Why? Because they don't want to face life. It's called escapism. They don't. They want to have, an e they want to have it easy. Well, don't you know I'm a believer? I should have life easy. You know God never promised life easy, not even to Israel. He just said, when you're Israel, when you're obeying my word, I'm going to bless you. I'll take care of you. But when you don't, I can't take care of you. That's our contract agreement. That's our covenant agreement. You know what he looks at you and I? Romans 8, 18. He says, you know where you live? You know what the present distress is right now? You live in a dispensation of suffering. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. May I have another? <laughs> right? All right, 2 Timothy 1. You can get off the 
Look, at, look, if you will, at verse number 4. Start there. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy has a little tears. What's going on? He's at the church there at, at Ephesus. And what's happened to this great church? They're leaving Paul. They're leaving dispensationalism. And he can't get it stopped. He's struggling with it. He's having a, it's troubling. It's, it, it, it's, it's, a, and it's a situation where you look at it and it's a, it's, you know, you plug one hole in the dike and another one pops and you just keep, you don't got enough fingers. Things are falling apart in his mind, in his estimation, in his perspective. So Paul says, verse 5, when I call to what? Remembrance the unfeigned faith. He's going to remind Timothy here that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You know, Paul, to Timothy, remember who you are in Christ. Remember, Timothy, you've been, you've been with me for a long time. It's amazing to me that Paul has to even remind Timothy of this. That means we all can become susceptible to it. So he says, verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That, that, tri that, that tri trinity there, the, the big three. He says, we, didn't, we don't have the spirit of fear. Now that's an interesting thing. Why would he say that? What's Timothy doing? What is he worried about? Fear, that emotion has gripped Timothy. And he knows it's there. It's right in front. The trouble is right there. And you know what he's let? Fear grab him. Paul reminds him, hey, we have the spirit of what? We have the power and love and of a what kind of sound mind. We're not going to go through these three. But I think about that sound mind. That thinking process, that ability to say, you know what, I know Romans, that ability to say Romans 5, whoop, right, let's go right there. And I know something. I know tribulation works patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And you know what hope does? It makes me not ashamed. And fear comes in, and what fear begins to do is fear begins to lead you to be ashamed. So what does he say, verse 8? Here's our verse, verse 8. Be not thou therefore, what? Ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Look at that. Two attacks, two modes of attacks by Satan. One, we're going to attack the message. You know what Timothy's over there doing? I'm not, I don't think he is doing this, but usually what happens when trouble comes. We're just going to soften the message a little bit. We're not going to preach dispensationalism. We'll do that on Wednesday night. Today we're just going to preach the, the fables and the wonderful things of Proverbs or Psalms or something. And rather than getting in, that's why he says, preach the word. Over there in chapter 3 where we were looking at those evil men wax worse and worse, the next verse he says, Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You're to, don't soften the message. That's what Satan wants you to do. Get away from dispensational Bible study. You know where he wants you? He's not worried about the bars. He's not worried about, you know, all that. He's worried about you staying in your book, rightly divided. So you know what he does? That course of the world gets in there. He caught Ephesians 2. If he can drag you away from the message, he's won the, day. he's won the battle. But then he says, nor of me his prisoner. There's the second attack, and that's the messenger. You mean you guys follow Paul? You worship Paul? You've heard that. You're a bunch of Paulites over there, man. All you do is talk about Paul, 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 Paul. Don't you know there's 40 other men in the Bible that wrote books? 
No, duh. <laughs> it more than 40, but anyway. The thing is, is Paul says, hey, they're going to, Romans 3 says, we, though it's been slanderously reported about us. I mean, I've been labeled an evildoer and I've never broke the law. So they cast, you go to Rick Jordan's church? You know what I heard about that guy? It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be enough to do what? Say, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't go there. Question. Put in the doubt. All, that's, all of that is shame. But there's another tactic with the messenger, because when that happens as the messenger, you know what happens? You become discouraged. And the only thing that discourage leads to is I quit. Two words. I'm done. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the message or the messenger. Now, let's the rest of that verse. But, uh-oh, be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Don't give in to the attack. Don't give in to the discouragement. Don't give in to the fear. Don't give in to the shame. Because what that leads to is quitting, stopping. But rather, go be a partaker of it. And that's the issue of hope. You actually are to look for trouble. You're partaking of it. You're a partaker of it. You are to come along and you're to make decisions in life that when tr even though you know it's going to bring trouble, it's the right thing to do. And you know what you do? You take part in it. We're not to fall apart. We're not to fall back to our fleshly attitudes of, you know, if we do this, then we're doomed, so let's not do it. Let's do something else. So we're going to have 20 minutes of this, and then we'll have fellowship lunch. You know, We're going to do this, and we're going to have breakfast with the pastor. <laughs> Better grab McDonald's. <laughs> you know, No, what do you do? You say, hey, this is what we're doing. Drop down to verse 12. By the way, that thing in verse 8, but be thou partakers of the afflictions... Notice it's qualified. It's, quant it's, it's of what? Of the gospel. According to. It's according to what? The power of God. Where are we? Now we're back in Romans 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts according to who? The Holy Ghost, which is the power of God. You know what you're doing? It's not out there going, you know, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to suffer for Jesus' sake. It's not that at all. That's the phony religion thing. That's the stuff in Colossians 2. He talks about it over there. Will worship, he calls it. Rather, he's talking about, you know what? I know what this book says, and that's what we're going to do, come hell or high water, as they say. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to pay attention to what the power of God, the word of God says. I've been looking at, some stuff we're going to start next hour and the next couple weeks about what's going on around us today. Do you know there's a verse in Leviticus that says you're to wear a mask? Ooh. Yeah, interesting. What? Science says, you know, but science also says wear a mask. you got science on both sides that support both viewpoints. It's interesting. What does the Word of God say? Well, in Leviticus, it says that when you're in a, in a certain situation, you ought to be wearing a mask. Ooh. Now what do we do? Well, we're going to talk about that next hour. Hook you to come to the next hour. See, well, we're not going to talk about that today, next hour, but we are going to look at it next week. The thing is, folks, is where's the power of God? By the way, what, 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 what do you do about wearing a mask? You do for you. That's what you do. It's Romans 14. We're going to talk about that in two weeks, okay? That's what you do, all right? Get off of that. I just find it interesting. You get all these people 
belly aching about stuff, and the, the Word of God has some insight in it when you come back and you look at what's going on in it. It's very fascinating. All right, verse 12. You're to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. That's my point. You're not doing this because you just want to have the badge of honor, get your Boy Scout badge. This is because you've taken a stand, you've decided to do some things based on the word of God, rightly divided. Okay? And it's according to the power of God. You're not walking into this, you, you don't have that spirit of fear and shame and discouragement. You have, the fear, you have the spirit of what? Power, of love, and of a sound mind. You've got that, that grace, by faith, we have access by faith into this grace wherewith we stand. So you're standing in who you are. Verse 12. For the which cause? All right, well, which cause? Well, the cause of verse 9, 10, and 11, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. The cause there is the message that was given to the Apostle Paul. For which cause? I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, what? I am not ashamed. Paul says, you know what? I don't care what the world thinks about me. I'm not concerned with what I look like in the eyes of the world. What I'm concerned is, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as the ambassador for Christ, as the apostle here? So what does he say, the rest of that verse? For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did Paul commit against, what did Paul commit against that day, that day, the rapture? What is Paul, he says, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. What did Paul commit? Think about this. He trusted the gospel, didn't he? You trusted the gospel. What's a component of the gospel? Resurrection. He says, you know what, Lord? Your word says you're going to raise me from the dead at the rapture. You were. I believe you. I, believed in the, I believe in the one who raised you from the dead. So guess what? I'm holding you to it. I'm, I'm, holding, you against, I'm holding that against you. That you know what would happen, that if it down there at the end of the road, it doesn't happen. You know what Paul's going to say? You know what you and I can say? Your book said, and you didn't do it. See? That's, but he says what? Because I know whom I have believed, you know what I'm doing? I'm not being ashamed. I'm not running from it. I'm standing where I need to stand. You see, folks, Paul had real hope. That's why I said this is high ground. This is how an adult thinks about adversity. You know what he says? Bring it on. We'll work through it. Why? Because I know that tribulation works something, doesn't it? Patience, experience, and hope. And you know what hope does? Hope says you can make it. You can get through this. You can work down through the issues. Hope comes along. Come over to Hebrews 12. Hope comes along and says, what God's telling us about our future and what we do is going to be based on that eternal reality of the future. So how do we get rid of the shame? How do we displace the shame? I told you Hebrews, right? Go back to Romans 5 real quick. Romans 5. How do we get rid of the shame? How do we displace it? Well, the only way to get rid of, the only way to break a habit is to do what? Replace it with a, with a better habit. <laughs> okay? A different thing, right? It takes 30 days to break a habit. That's why if you do a diet, you've got to do at least how many days? 30 days. <laughs> I read that in a book somewhere. It don't work. <laughs> it does for some. It didn't for me, okay? 
I was actually on it for 60 days one time. This was years ago, and I got bigger. I was like, wait a minute, it's going the wrong way, you know. But no, how do you display shame? You replace it with 5-5, five, five, hope maketh not a shame, because the what? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. How do we take the formula? Tribulation works patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, that's going to make it where there's no shame. How do we get rid of the shame? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And when you think about the issue of the Lord and the love of God, look down at verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. And I think about that issue of shame and, the, and, and how to move it over and, and not let it win the day. You know, when the tribulation comes up, it should never result in complete breakdown and a complete falling apart. It should rather result in an understanding of and, and, a, and a growth of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. And when you think about the love of God, and you begin to think about Him not being ashamed, when he died on the cross. Come to Hebrews 12. Just take a few minutes here, and then we'll pick up more on the love of God next week. But look, notice Hebrews 12. And, and I got to thinking about the Lord. He's hanging on the tree. His head's erect. He's, a, he's been beaten to a pulp. Bloody mess. The crowns have been stuck in him. He's dripping blood. He's a mess. What do you think the little, what was the little flock doing when that happened? They weren't at his feet. They were running. They were scared. They were ashamed. Peter three times denies him, remember? At the foot of the cross from this record, we only see Mary and James and a couple of the other ladies. I'm sorry, John, not James. John, sorry. We don't see the great multitude. We only see a handful of people that are there. Could you imagine if you were hanging there and you looked down and all you saw was your mom and your best friend and you never saw anybody else and you have all these people that have been following you? What would that do to you? It hurt, wouldn't it? Discourage you. But the Lord, nah. Why? Because he's got a different thinking going on, doesn't he? He's got a different perspective about it. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's the faith, the hall of faith there in chapter 11. That's the cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, this is talking to the Hebrews, but the principle is the same for us. When trouble comes, where should we be looking? To who we are in Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who? Well, watch this. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the Lord. Was it shameful to be hung on the tree? Yeah, he's a curse. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. For a Jew, it wasn't a good thing. By the way, the Jew, their capital punishment was stoning. But when they wanted to drive home the point, you know what they did to that guy? They took him out and hung him on a cross. You go read it back there in Deuteronomy. They go down there, they stone him, and to press the point home, they go hang him up. That's why it's cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. There's, a, there's more to it than just, you know, he committed some uh, worthy of death. Who for the joy that was set before him you know what he's operating on? He's operating on a higher level, isn't he? He's operating on an understanding 
of an eternal reality called hope. Resurrection. He's understa- he understands what the word of the Father was to him. So what is he doing? Taking that word, letting it work in his inner man, and living on that. Despising, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Man, you want to displace shame, come back to Psalm 69. What you're going to do is you're going to look to who you are in Christ. Psalm 69. I, I know people say, man, Rick, you talk about who you are in Christ all the time. You know, you harp on that. And I go, well, yeah, because that's how you get over the hump on some of this. You access by faith this grace wherein we stand. And when we went through that, I told you, this grace isn't just this little trinket over here or this. It's the riches, the wealth that we have in Christ. Look at Psalm 69, one of the reproach psalms. When, when I think about this joy that was set before him, and I think about his thinking, the Lord never bowed his head when he was on the cross until it was time to give up the ghost. His head was erect. He's thinking. There's seven times that the Lord speaks from the cross. The last one is, it is finished, and he goes. But the one right before that, he says, I thirst. Because he knows that he's got to give them, get them to give him some vinegar, the gall. They tried to give him the gall at the beginning. Gall is like morpheme. It dulled the senses. It dulled the pain. And he rejected it. He said, no. Why? Because he's got to suffer like you and I do. He's got to go through it with a clear head, with the clearness of it. And he held his head up. Then he says, okay, I have fulfilled all those verses in the Old Testament. The law and the prophets said, Moses said about me, except, oh, there's one over here in Psalms that i got to get. So he says, I thirst. And they go and get the sponge and give him the vinegar. Then the next thing he does is says what? It is finished, and off he goes. Lord, here I come. Father, here I come. See? He never bows his head until that moment. Psalm 69 gives, this is called the reproach psalm. It's a messianic psalm. But it gives us a look into his thinking. And what I want you to see is this issue about the shame despising the shame. 69.6 Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Now he's talking about the little flock. The little flock's traumatized. They are... Looking, they look at him on that cross, and you know what they see? Defeat. Because he was our Savior. He was our Messiah. He was supposed to be the victor. And it looks like he's what? Losing. He's going to die. And you know what the Lord says? I don't want them to be ashamed. Verse 7. Because for thy sake I have been born reproach. Shame hath covered my face. Isn't that interesting? Shame is what? The mask of shame. It's put a covering over your face. You know what happens when you cover your face? It blinds you, doesn't it? It shuts you up. It makes you you can't talk. First time I tried one of those neck things, you know, pull them up, I'm like... I got it stretched out now. It just hangs on the nose, so I'm good, <laughs> you know. But see, the thing is, is what is shame designed to do? Shut you down. Shut you up. How was Jesus then able to displace the shame? Come down to 19, verse 19. He understood something. He understood the Reality of eternity. Verse 19, thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity, 
but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. He is all alone. By the way, in verse 6 there and 7, when he's talking about the little flock, even in that worst moment of his life, you know who he was thinking about? Someone else. Taking care of other people. Verse 21, they gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The cloud of shame sits there. My shame, my reproach. Come over to chapter 16 of Psalms. But yet, Hebrews 12 said, For the joy that was set before him. He just told us, my reproach, my shame, it's covered me up. I look around, there's nobody here for me or against me. <laughs> well, the against are here, but the for me aren't. Now watch Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Again, here's the joy. Here's his thinking. The shame is covered him. But you know what's going to happen? It isn't going to consume him. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied. Their hastening after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their name unto my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now watch verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Notice, when the Lord is hanging there, what's, now I know this is David talking, but it's also the Lord talking. Okay? And you know what he says? The Father, the Lord, the Father gave me what? Counsel. He's the one that's sitting on my right hand. He's the one that has come along and given me instruction in the night season. Night season, night in your Bible is always related to tribulation and trouble. When the Lord hung there, three hours of darkness fell on that earth, didn't it? Physically and spiritually, blacked out the sky. In the night season... The 70th week of Daniel for the nation of Israel, for that little flock, is described as they are going into the night. And then the second coming, Malachi chapter number 3 or 4 over there, he says, and the sun is rising in his second coming. He's in the night season, and what's keeping him is the counsel, the instruction. The Lord's faith in the word of his Father to him told him something about the future. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. By the way, this is how you know it's the Lord talking, because Acts chapter 2 says this is what the Father said and the Lord said too. Okay? Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there's our pleasures forevermore. You see, when you see what was on his mind for the joy that was set before him, what was set before him? Pleasures forevermore. The instruction of the word of God to him. At the moment of shame and defeat, 
He relied in his thinking on the word of his father to him about resurrection, life. And when we come back to Romans 5, and when we get into verse 5, I told you this is high ground. Hope maketh not a shame. You know what's going to happen? When we have trouble come our way, you know what we're to have? The same mindset as the sun. Look to the instruction. Look to the counsel. And when it comes our way, you know what we need to depend on? The love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. What we need to depend on is to is that standing we have in Christ. Rest in it. Understand it. Understand how God would have us think down through the trouble that comes our way. And when you do that, you know what happens? You have a sado, you have just such a radical, different way to think about life that the world thinks you are nuts. Because you know what you're looking at? Look, folks, he, he's not saying that trouble comes that it's not going to hurt. He's not saying that when trouble comes, it isn't going to kick you. It isn't going to get you down. What he's saying is, is when trouble does come, you have a mechanism to have to turn it. Come over to 2 Corinthians 4. You have a mechanism, a way for it to work for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The outward man does what? Yesterday we were working at the house. I cut my finger with a utility knife, a blade, and I cut it from here to here. Just whoosh, I was like, I'm bleeding. And Linda goes, well, at least I'm not the only one that cut their finger. <laughs> You know, so we put it all together. You know, it hurt. It hurts this morning when I hit it. But you know what it is? What do I know? I know verse 17. I know the outward man's going to do what with it? It's going to perish. Now, this morning when we cleaned it up and everything, it's starting to go back together. It's beginning to bleed a little bit. So you put it back together. I mean, it was pretty deep, but, you know, I don't go to anywhere. We're not going to get no stupid stitches or anything. Not stupid. No, we're not doing stitches or any of that. Okay. It just, let's just tape it together. You know, get the hot, get the, uh, get the glue gun out. Let's go, you know. Come on, if the Old West guys can stick a knife in there and then cauterize it, then what's their problem, right? You know, that, okay. Super glue, there you go. Where is it at? Where, where's the monkey, the gorilla glue, you know? Boom, right? Okay. But the thing is, is what's going to happen? It's going to fix itself. It'll straighten it up, and it'll close back up. It'll do its job. But if, you, if I had gone any deeper, what would have happened to that? Well, tendons and all this other stuff comes into play. And then maybe I walk around like that all day, you know, the rest of my life. You never know, right? But what, it's going to do what? It's going to perish. But the inward man is what? Is renewed. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Can you imagine Paul? He's been stoned. He's been beaten on, shipwrecked, all that stuff. And later that he explains to you in chapter 11. And he says, you know what? That's just a moment. When compared to eternity, this is just a blip. When you compare it to what we're going to be doing in glory the, for him, it's just a little blip. It's light. It's for the moment. But when we approach it with the proper perspective and thinking, you know what it's going to do? It's going to work for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that's the reward of the tribulation. That issue of out there in the future, godliness is profitable now and in the life which is, has the promise of life now and in the life, what we do today. How do you and I dis displace the shame? How do you and I go and deal with the shame of the trouble? 
well, if we go in and, and we mind it our fleshly way, what are we just built up on our, own, on our foundation? Wood, hay, and stubble, right? What happens to that? Burns away, tribute, judgment seat of Christ. But if we go in and we operate on a godly perspective, now what are we building? Gold, silver, precious stones, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now we build something that's going to last. It's going to equip us then for our functioning out in the heavenly places. Follow that? So there's the reward. Now, time's up a minute ago. But Ephesians, but Romans 5, verse 5, we'll say some more stuff about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts next time, okay? But if you look at our standing and who we are in Christ, and you go look at Christ, you know what he says? I, shame was there. I, it covered me, but it didn't control me. It was there, but I displaced it. And I did it by the word of God. And that's how we have to do it the same way. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the look here into Scripture, for the look into what it is to think like an adult in the matters of life. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen.